Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Thibs, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host Cassidy. Hello. And today we'll be talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, depending on the region that you read this book or watched this movie in. Now, no spoiler warning, because I'm guessing since this is such a popular franchise, you must have watched the movie or read the book at some point. No spoiler warning, but I will say, both of us will say that we do not agree with the statements that J.K. Rowling has put out, but we do have to admit that the work she's created is pretty awesome and we want to discuss it. So with that, let's take it away, Cass. Yeah, I mean, again, just like you said, um, not a fan of the statement she's put out mm-hmm. post-series. Um, exactly. I think she, a lot of what she said is pretty damaging and hurtful, so definitely don't agree with that or support mm-hmm. her, but yeah. unfortunately or fortunately, she has created a really interesting world, world that mm-hmm. I think has provided escape for a lot of us for all yeah. sorts of reasons. So I think, like you said, um, definitely not condoning anything she said, but still supporting the work without hopefully supporting her. So yeah, yeah, with that out of the way, um, this is a fairly, I don't want to say old franchise, but the first book did come out in the late 1990s. Yeah, it's been 20 years, so we can say that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's getting up there in years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least in terms of like when the- We're dating ourselves. When the series started. (laughs) I think we I think it's okay though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I feel like people at this point will probably have a rough idea of mm-hmm. our age. But um, yeah, the, the first book came out a very long time ago. But um, mm-hmm. funnily enough, I actually didn't read it when it came out. I've read the series. Um, Same. I, I started like when the Goblet of Fire came out or yeah. after it was already out. Mm-hmm. And I read them out of order too, but I know I think you read them in order, right? I did read them in order, but I didn't start when the series started. I'll be honest with that. Uh, I started pretty late, but I did read them in order. Yeah. Yeah, I read mine, uh, or when I first read the series, I read The Goblet of Fire was actually the first book I read, but I had seen the first Mm -hmm. movie probably about three or four times prior to that, just because it was played so much um, mm-hmm. in my school when I was in grade school, we would like the teachers would play it all the time if we had like a substitute teacher or if they just, yeah. like on Fridays where we may not have had work or something, they just <laughs> would have like put it in and we would have watched a little bit for a couple That's days of the week or something like that. So I ended up watching the first movie mm. well before I actually started reading the series, but I read the fourth book first. Then I read mm. the first book, the third book, the second book, and then it's five through seven in order. So, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it was a little bit of a, a backwards start to the mm-hmm. series, I guess. But um, I did go back and reread everything in order and even reading it out of order. Thankfully, I never felt like I was totally lost and mm. that I had kind of plunged into this journey mm-hmm. at the middle instead of starting at the beginning. So um whatever her fault, I think that might be one thing at least J.K. Rowling has done that for me at least I felt like even picking up the fourth book it didn't feel like I was totally lost but um yeah I mean of course the series has meant a lot to so many people for a whole bunch of reasons and all sorts of things yeah but um it's just I think kind of amazing to think about like when you consider the types of series that have um gone on to to become successful usually oh i think God, yeah. for the most part they were classics prior to this franchise and this is i think the first that kind of kick-started i think like a real interest in like mm. young adult type fiction so um Pretty it's much. been really interesting to see what's come after mm-hmm. in the years since yeah i know exactly you're right about that because there's very few um series that have reached this level of cult following i guess you know (laughs) so yeah um so for all of its fantastical settings this series kind of starts on a very non-magical note like we see how mr and mrs dursley go through their day all through the eyes of a tabby cat who turns out to be mcgonagall and then you see later that day you see hagrid bringing in little Harry and Dumbledore and McGonagall just leaving them, uh, leaving Harry at the Dursley's doorstep. So let's talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, it was definitely interesting because, again, like you said, for all the magic and fantasy that's kind of part of this world and part of the series, it starts off very ordinary and kind of, you know, like a random average family who mm. clearly has seemingly nothing to do with um, anything that we kind of know and associate with the magical world. But yeah. um, it, it just, like, again, like you said, because we kind of get this introduction to the Dursleys first, I think it kind of gives some background as to who these people are as characters. And I think it, in a strange way, kind of helps us form like some sort of, I guess, almost like prejudice against them because clearly even before this whole mm-hmm. thing with Harry, the Dursleys don't come across as like particularly like great people. It's just kind of like, yeah they seem like they're there and they're kind of just annoyed all the time and just going through life with kind of a negative outlook in I a strange so. way. Like it, yeah. I just, that's just how I read it when I first read the book. But even in those opening pages, like in those opening chapters, just yeah. Vernon and Petunia just like existing, uh, like pre Harry's arrival, it did just feel like they kind of just had like a, a like a, not not an entirely positive outlook on on everything they just kind of seem exactly annoyed and bored and (laughs) um, it seems like yeah they basically are pessimistic and they're kind they i think i feel i feel like they might even be snobbish without i mean it's just without even having the right to be snobbish nobody does that's a different story but like (laughs) i don't know It, it it's like it rubs you the wrong way basically I feel like you know yeah yeah and I think that's again part of at least the, when I first read the book mm-hmm. um and even now I feel like those opening chapters where we're first introduced to the Dursleys mm. I think it's like in a way is kind of meant to help us become prejudiced against them because oh, they're not the yeah, greatest people I totally agree. and I mean yeah, even yeah, yeah. pre For all sure. the nonsense that they pulled with Harry and all of that they're, they're not, not meant to like them. That yeah. that much is for sure. They're yeah. not happy people either. So it's not like yeah. they, like I think the way they kind of come across is like Harry getting um stuck with them is kind of like a burden to them and everything mm. was great before Harry came and all of that. But it's like we have a snapshot into that time period before Harry even ended up with them. Yeah, and exactly. even then, like they're not any different than they are. Post-Harry's arrival, they're just, I think, a little more restrained in that they don't, they're not, I think, so openly rude and... and, Hostile. Yeah, and, like, just full of negative emotions. I think Eh. they they tend to keep that a little bit more bottled up, but, like, post-Harry's arrival, it's just, like, they don't want this kid. Yeah, and they will make it known. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I definitely agree with you there. Now, let's also talk about uh, the situation that Dumbledore uh, leaves Harry in because I think in later books we find out why he did it but it's kind of sad that because it's mentioned very clearly that anyone in the wizarding world would have loved to keep Harry would have taken better care of uh, him as well but Dumbledore for whatever purpose decided that Harry would be safe here with the Dursleys what did you think of that? Yeah, I think just going off of what we know in the first book, um, the only way I can kind of rationalize it is just if they wanted to protect Harry without necessarily hurting other wizards Mm. and without having, I guess, an obvious kind of... Target painted on their back, I think. Yeah, and especially putting other wizarding families in danger as well. Um, Mm. But I mean, of course, like you said, in later books, we do learn more about why Dumbledore did what he did and it it's not as I think um it's not as simple yeah there's Mm -hmm. more layers and more nuance to it than than that but um just going off of what we know by the first book um it does seem that at least to me when I read it I had the impression that Dumbledore just wanted to put Harry with like a a family that wouldn't draw a lot of attention and Mm. the Dursleys Mm -hmm. are also kind of the type of people that you might avoid (laughs) if you saw them Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. They always just seem to, like... You're like, yeah, I'm not going to talk to those idiots. I can't deal with them. Yeah, there's people who just look like they're always upset. They're always, like, scowling or angry-looking. And Mm -hmm. maybe they don't necessarily feel that way, but sometimes they're just so used to being 
upset or some people are, are just like they just find things to be upset about but I think the Dursley, mm-hmm. yeah the Dursleys I think definitely kind of fall into that category so I think yeah pretty much dude mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in general wouldn't want to necessarily interact, interact with, with them, them. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, think yeah, anybody yeah. goes out of their way to interact specifically with the Dursleys so maybe <laughs> it worked out and Dumbledore was just like they're his blood relatives and the only people we could find yeah. and also this is the last place a wizard would think to look for them mm. or to look for Harry. And obviously, yeah. again, nobody's because, really like, interacting I with the Dursley. I think you made a very good point when we were talking about this earlier that we don't know what happened to Voldemort. He, we, we know he's just gone, but we don't know. There's no proof that he actually died. <laughs> and I think his followers are still out there. And they might be looking to do things, uh, do unspeakable things to the kid responsible for his disappearance or something. So mm-hmm. I feel like that might be another reason for, for for Dumbledore to do what he did. Again, Dumbledore's character is another podcast in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, let's talk about Harry's childhood now because clearly the Dursleys were shitty people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they bur- and they blamed his uh, bursts of magic uh, and punished him for them as well unnecessarily and it's like um, let's talk about that because I feel bad for Harry in those instances unfortunately I know it's kind of sad it is yeah and I think a lot of readers I would actually be surprised if anybody didn't sympathize with Harry because again I mean like you said that he had outbursts of magic that he couldn't control and he was punished for it and couldn't explain yeah right and also the Dursleys never told him even knowing what his parents were and knowing the sort of background I guess that Harry came from they never explicitly at any point in his childhood tell him your parents were wizards and you or had magic this thing or could happen to you kind of deal Nothing right of that they sport. just they hate magic and they expect mm-hmm. Harry to somehow know that he has magic and control it even though he's never been told so it did come across as unreasonable that they had mm-hmm. all these kind of expectations for him yeah and obviously he wasn't li- going to live up to them because I don't think there was anything he could do to live up to them in the Dursley's books but um yeah that was a really crappy thing for them to kind of hold over him and just be angry about because again Harry cannot control it at the beginning of he just can't it's not in his it's not in his hands it just can't be yeah. done yeah he, he doesn't have the training and more importantly he just doesn't have the knowledge like he's at the beginning he's not aware he's a wizard <laughs> and so for the Dursley's to be angry over something that they have purposefully withheld from Harry. Mm. It's just, I think, really, really stupid. And it kind of shows what type of people they are. So again, you know, just kind of reinforcing this idea that we as readers slash viewers mm-hmm. should not be feeling anything for them. So I think it does a good job of doing that. Because, yeah, yeah I don't think at any point we, or at least me, I don't think at any point felt sympathetic towards Vernon uh, or Petunia. It's not easy to do that yeah, at all. And even Dudley at some point because, but again, I think I feel like I can understand um, Dudley imitating or uh, basically emulating his parents' behavior towards Harry. There's still no excuse for it, but at least it's kind of explainable, I think, but not, not Vernon and Petunia, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, of course, Dudley's going to follow the example his parents have set, and mm-hmm. they spent a huge, not a huge, but like basically all of Harry's first decade just being mm. really mean to him and just being mm. nasty and, and rude and oh, dude, frankly yeah. abusive. Yeah. And so, of course, Dudley's going to pick up on that because that's the example his parents mm-hmm. have set, and he's just going to follow whatever they do. Yeah. And of course, they have really spoiled him and they haven't disciplined him in any meaningful way yeah exactly of course I mean again I don't know if that excuses him entirely but I think we can kind of be a little bit more lenient with him because just a little like the environment he grew up in and the people he had as Mm. role models who are already role models (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly (laughs) exactly I know I know what you mean so then let's talk about the whole owl post situation and Harry's 11th birthday because a lot of stuff happens then 
And I think you you said it right. I think props to Vernon for thinking he could stop Harry from getting that letter. But like, come on, if 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 a magical society wants to find you, they will find you. Basically. Yeah, especially if it's like they've got owls at their disposal and it's mm-hmm. not just like a single owl or like a single species. Mm-hmm. It looked like multiple species and oh, yeah. a whole lot of owls. And beyond owls, I'm sure so they have cute. other ways mm-hmm. of getting communication out to mm-hmm. people who need, you know, certain things. So yeah, I, I yeah, props to Vernon for assuming mm-hmm. he could stop this, <laughs> but yeah. I guess that's the only thing he gets credit for. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it, that scene is. I don't know. I, I think in the in the movies, it's portrayed a little bit. Um, it, it kind of has like an, an element of lightness to it because you see this scene where like a bunch of owls are just mm. hovering over Privet Drive and like mm. they're mm-hmm. just crowding it. And there's at one point, I think like letters like streaming in through the mail slot, the front door, and then like down even the, the fireplace. Yeah. It's yeah, like all over the place. And like there's a scene of like Harry jumping up and down just trying to grab a single letter. So yeah. I think the movie it adds like this element of lightness to it, but it's also kind of just ridiculous that yeah. Vernon is so against Harry reading this letter because they haven't told Harry anything about Hogwarts or magic yeah. or anything related to his parents' demise or I guess that part of him that he doesn't even know suppress. that that world exists exactly yeah so my thing has always been like if Harry read the letter who's to say he would have believed it and, and they even could if be like someone it, pranked you basically you right. know Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right about but even that. Otherwise, like even if assuming Harry did believe it and he was able to read a letter then and there, they could have just been like, "No, you're not going." And I think Harry would have probably tried to go, but you know, if they treated him right, he would have been had, like, "Okay." That, yeah, that's also a thing. You know, maybe if they had been kinder to him and they said, "No, sorry, you can't go," he may have just been okay with not going. But also at the same time, I feel like. I'm sure, regardless of the outcome, if things had been different, I'm sure he would have wanted to go. But mm-hmm. I think he didn't have any resources available to him. And for him to yeah. get to a station to take a train and, I mean, even find all the things on the list that he needed to go to Hogwarts, it would have been a huge yeah. challenge. So It would have been. Um, You're absolutely right. I don't think I just, he has the resources to do it. Like you Yeah, said. so to me, it was just like, why is Vernon trying so hard? <laughs> Harry could have read the letter, Vernon could have said yes, you can go, or no, you can't go, but I think at the end of the day, if if things had been different, and assuming Harry had read that letter, not, nobody would have had an idea where to get the materials for him, and nobody would have had um, any sort of, like... They had no idea, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe Petunia did, but... Oh, true. Possibly. I, I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated in the books that like she accompanied Lily to the platform or anything. But the other thing, too, is um, I don't think at any point the Dursleys had to pay for Harry to go to Hogwarts. So I'm like, they if a school is offering to take this kid that you don't want off your hands for free, essentially, why would you no, say no? No, but they didn't know that but, Harry had a great amount of money left to him either. He didn't. But I mean, thing. all of that aside, like even assuming they didn't know I think the issue is really just that they didn't want Harry and it's like here's an out for you guys as well like Harry gets to go to school and be away from you for several months each year and you don't oh, have yeah. to pay for That's the like school a... you don't have to support Harry Dude, you just exactly. have to put up with him for the summer essentially oh my god yeah why would you say no I think it's just that they're so prejudiced against magic that it was a win they were win like for them and they didn't see it basically. yeah exactly oh. and I'm like you guys are just making more work for yourselves but okay <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So let's talk about Hagrid's entrance because I think that was pretty damn solid, right? Because I loved it. I, I mean, I love Hagrid in general. He's a sweet dude. And I really, I I just love Har- Hagrid a lot. Hagrid's like, um, he's the first person in Harry's corner, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. I think, yeah, he's definitely the first person in Harry's corner at that time, or at least as far as Harry knows uh, in the opening chapters of the book, because, again, he spent almost 11 years mm-hmm. with these people who are supposedly his blood relatives, but they've essentially just treated him like garbage. Yeah, and they put him the in the cupboard to... under the stairs, goddammit. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Yeah, so... and so, obviously, I'm sure it must have felt great for him to have somebody kind of finally stand up for him and... Mm-hmm 
be able to shut Vernon up because I don't think anybody else would have done that for Harry or could have done that for Harry. But right. Hagrid is very literally like a giant. I mean, not literally a giant, but he's but significantly. He's a big dude. He's big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, I think he can be intimidating enough to even Vernon. So I think it was nice that. Harry kind of got to see that and see that somebody was there to help him and again like you said like be in his corner <laughs> yeah uh, but also yeah it, the way Harry just gets that letter I think is um it is really funny because of course Vernon has gone to extremes to make sure Harry can't get the letter doesn't get it yeah and then Hagrid just walks in with one and hands it to Harry and then like it's, it's just like a almost as if he's telling Vernon like are you gonna stop me are you gonna stop him <laughs> yeah no so, he in the movie is like yeah I'd like to see a muggle like you stop him like okay <laughs> yeah, I think even in the book as well I think there's like Vernon musters like, an attempt <laughs> and yeah. tries to stop Hagrid but Hagrid's just not having any of it <laughs> he's like eh, try try me bitch <laughs> he's that he's that person in this situation <laughs> but yeah uh, I mean it's interesting I love Hagrid because he's in that he's in Harry's corner and Harry, let's talk about Harry's feelings here I mean he finally has a chance to get out of this horrible situation and <laughs> and it's kind of sad that he has to go through that but let's talk about his his mental uh how he feels about this whole thing and how he finally decides to go he's confused about where he'd get all the stuff that he needs and all that stuff so let's talk about that and his entry into the magical world because i thought it was pretty well done it was really interesting yeah but it also kind of like you alluded to before is kind of sad because the Dursleys had never even bothered to tell Harry specifically what happened to his parents mm -hmm. and I get that their whole thing is anti-magic and they hate the magical world and all of that but mm. I think just saying like being murdered by an evil wizard in a car accident are two very different things so I feel like they yeah. could have tried a little bit harder to stick as close to the facts without necessarily telling Harry that his parents had magic or were wizards or whatnot but um yeah it is kind of exactly. sad that he had to learn it at this point after so many t like years have passed and I mean granted 11 is also still kind of young to be discussing death with kids yeah there's no um, proper age for this yeah age, exactly like, there's no really like right time it's always a tough subject to approach and I think mm -hmm. I mean like you said, there's really no right age, but also I feel like they could have just done better and just not lied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I feel like at this point, that's also asking quite a lot of the Dursleys because, yeah, because they're, they're, they're not the nicest. They're bad yeah. people. They're horrible people. Yeah. But yeah, it is just kind of sad when you consider that Harry has gone his whole life believing one thing only to find out that, I mean, he still doesn't know the full extent, mm -hmm. I think, of what happened to his parents and he won't mm -hmm. for a while yet. But yeah, it, it's just sad that he has to spend so much of his life believing one thing only for it to be only to be told that it's not true and that his relatives have lied to him. So, of course, I think that kind of made his decision easier. And honestly, it's not like he had a lot to look forward to staying with the Dursleys. So I don't think at any point Harry would have really mm. stomped and considered staying. I think the only hesitation came from this kind of like info dumping Hagrid did where he's like you're a wizard now you need all these things and you're gonna go to a magical school and Harry's yeah. just like where do I get these things where is yeah, the school where is the school how do I get there all those things the right, logistics yeah. of it all yeah exactly yeah. but I don't think at any point he was ever like should I stay with the Dursleys or should I go because yeah I think like we've established the Dursleys have been pretty shitty to him so exactly I don't think he had much to stay for yeah, so let's talk about the whole, uh, uh, his introduction to the magical world and Diagon Alley and the leaky collar and all that stuff. Because again, regardless of how shitty J.K. Rowling's statements have been, the world is pretty awesome. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting introduction to it. And I love how like the magical world kind of or the wizarding world is just kind of integrated with the muggle world but it's mm -hmm. everything is hidden away so only the people who know where to look and know how to find it can get yeah. in yeah um, and so I think of course I mean a lot of this or all of this rather has existed even forever though, like, yeah yeah pretty much and Harry's just never seen it mm -hmm. and never been exposed to it so I think going into Diagon Alley and um 
the I guess the hidden world that he previously didn't have access to I'm sure it must have been kind of mm. overwhelming for him mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm sure he was also just really fascinated by everything and you can kind of yeah. see that in the book and the, the couple of chapters that we spend with him just kind of going from shop to shop collecting mm -hmm. things for his term at Hogwarts mm -hmm. um, and there's a ton of stuff there and it's really interesting the way they kind of everything has been set up like there's I mean anything you can find in the muggle world there's essentially like a wizarding world equivalent pretty so, much um, so there's two important really things we have to discuss here like Gringotts and Ollivanders because we come to we get a, quite a few revel quite a few revelations over there so let's talk about those things here. Gringotts is the ba wizarding bank. Uh, Harry finds out that he's been left this huge inheritance, which is great. And <laughs> Hagrid also takes out some secret stuff for Dumbledore is what he says pretty much. But the <laughs> wand is more important uh, because they find out, uh, Harry finds out that the wand that chose him has a twin and that twin belonged to Voldemort who basically gave Harry that scar. So <laughs> like, that's interesting. Uh, but I think you made a very good point about Harry's money that he could have, but that had the Dursleys known about it, um, they would have tried to be nice, I think. Harry. Yeah, yeah, I think we were talking about this off recording. And I mean, I don't even know if they necessarily would have tried to be nice, but I just think it would have been really funny if we had a scene either in the book and or the movie mm -hmm. where the Dursleys knew Harry was rich and he had a mm -hmm. lot of inheritance or savings or whatever and just tried to like, mm -hmm. I don't know, just like suck up to him and be like, oh, Harry Potter, our favorite nephew, mm -hmm. in the hopes of getting something out of it. Yeah. And of course, I don't think the wizarding world currency works in the muggle world. No, it doesn't. And not. I'd be very surprised <laughs> if it did. So I just think it would be it would have been really funny if Harry was like, okay, here's some money for both of you. And they were like, yes, great, we're richer now. But then when they look at it, it's like it's mm -hmm. essentially useless to them because they can't spend it anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now let's talk about Hedwig because I love that fluffy little snowy owl. She's so cute. I love her so much. Is, like yeah. she's really sweet obviously I mean I think she plays a larger role at different points throughout the series mm -hmm. but in the first book her role is just kind of she's Harry's owl <laughs> Harry's cute owl. Owl. and um and I love very, Hagrid very... saying hey Harry happy birthday <laughs> yeah it's not every day a kid gets an owl yeah. for a present so <laughs> pretty much it was really cute it was it was very yeah. sweet. <laughs> I loved it because I mean, and owls are super cute babies. I love them; they're so sweet. I know um, they're great. I love owls, but um, yeah, I think Hedwig, especially like as the series progresses, I think it was nice that even though she's essentially considered like a minor character in the sense, mm -hmm. I don't she's think very I'll... important to Harry. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So that was still nice to see that even though mm -hmm. she didn't have like a huge, huge role, like plot wise, at least in the first book. Um, yeah over the course of the series it, she's it it never is a case of her becoming less important or no, less she's relevant always, to Harry. she's always harry's beautiful owl basically <laughs> also you were i think we you talked you mentioned a very good point uh earlier because like they hogwarts allows you to take a cat a rat uh an owl or a toad and i would have had a very difficult time trying to decide whether I would take a cat or an owl. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I feel like we're also just really indecisive. So I feel like if yeah. the two of us had to choose between one or the other, I feel like it would be very tough unless we were both in the same house. house? Yes. <laughs> and then it would be like one of us would pick one animal and the other would pick the other. We would just like swap every month yeah. or something. <laughs> And interestingly enough, considering Pottermore, we ended up being in the same house based off of that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much that. Uh, let's also, now let's talk about uh, Harry's journey to Hogwarts and the Hogwarts Express, because unfortunately, it was confusing for the boy. Let's just say that. <laughs> it was, yeah. And I mean, Part of it was probably the way he just ends up 
at King's Cross, like Hagrid mm-hmm. just drops him there, and he's like, "All right, gotta go." Official, to, I guess. Business. But yeah, yeah, I don't think he meant to just kind of leave Harry to fend for himself, but mm. I think it was just like a moment of, I guess, absent-mindedness or something, maybe, where he was just like, "All right, I have official business to do. I'll catch you later, Harry," and just like completely forgetting that Harry's a total stranger to. He's never been there before. Yeah, thing. exactly. So, of course, he's not gonna know how to get to platform nine and three quarters but mm-hmm. i think it serves as like a nice introduction to the weasley family because yes. this is how Harry first meets a lot of them and even if he doesn't get formally introduced to them we as readers kind of do yeah so, uh, I, it was really nice that mrs weasley took him under her wing and helped him and showed him the ropes yeah, and how to get sweet. to the platform and everything and of course this is kind of I guess what kickstarts his friendship with Ron Mm -hmm. and of course that's like kind of the backbone of the entire series his friendship with Ron and Hermione so um yeah it was just really it was a really small kind of tiny scene when you consider Mm -hmm. the the series overall and even the book um or the movie but it was just again I thought really sweet that like Mrs. Weasley just saw us kind of lost looking kid yeah yeah yeah, and was like don't worry I'll explain everything (laughs) That's just her, I guess. And Fred and George, oh my god, such chaotic twins, man. Like, come on. (laughs) Honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. (laughs) And then he's like, I'm only joking. I am Fred. Bye. (laughs) Like, it's so crazy. I love the chaotic little shits that they are. (laughs) But yeah, let's talk about. We also meet uh, Hermione here uh, in the Hogwarts Express. So let's talk about her too, because like I think she turned she uh, she's eager to please and she's eager to learn, but that comes off completely different, unfortunately. So let's yeah. talk about that a little bit. I think it's just that she's very enthusiastic about learning, kind of like you said, like very Mm -hmm. eager to apply her knowledge and just learn and just soak up information because she's the first in her family that's had any magical um, ability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so she's, you know, essentially the first to go to Hogwarts. And so Mm -hmm. I think she's just trying to not disappoint herself and them and kind of prove that she can keep up with the rest of the first years. And I think unfortunately for Harry and Ron especially uh, it kind of rubs them the wrong way the first time they meet her because it I think she just kind of comes off as unfortunately a little bit snobbish or like a know-it-all because Um, here she is doing magic and explaining things to them when they didn't ask for her input at all so it was interesting that even though I mean like especially if you're familiar with the series or if you watch the movies and if you know what their relationship evolves into later down the line Mm -hmm. I just find it really funny that at the beginning it was like Harry and Ron just did not care for her or I mean I don't think they hated her but it was just they were like "Eh, you know what meh is that yeah, kind of it was thing? like if they had a choice between spending time with Hermione or like someone from Slytherin. Actually, that's probably a bad analogy. Uh, don't <laughs> like do they would, that. They would have still chosen Hermione, Hermione but it just, yeah. I think at first they would not have actively sought out her company. And then yeah. I think at a point, it, once their friendship is like properly cemented, then it's like she might come across or sound like a know it all, but she's still our best friend. She is. She's. She saved their asses way too many times to count. Let's I know, yeah. So. You know? I'm sure, like, uh, at a certain point, they probably looked back and were like, yeah, we made the right choice. Interesting. Yep, 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 yep. So let's talk about that first sight of Hogwarts, because I think, again, it's, it's framed so beautifully. So, like, let's talk about that, because I think even the sets for the movies, the movies do a very cool job of articulating that feeling because this huge castle and the great hall is this majestic place with a ceiling looking like the night sky with all those candles and stuff it's amazing (laughs) so let's talk about that I'm sure it must have been super exciting and maybe even like a little scary to Harry because obviously for so long he's only known Privet Drive and the Dursley's house and clearly it seems like they didn't First of all, I don't think they would have taken him anywhere, whether it was for fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think he probably tagged along wherever the Dursleys decided they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But it seems pretty obvious that if Harry wanted to go somewhere, 
he was not going there unless the Dursleys had already kind of worked it into their plans yeah. because either they wanted to go or Dudley wanted to go. So I don't think he's been out very much. Yeah, and that's so the I'm whole sure... situation with the zoo as well, I think, because Dudley wanted to go. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I, I'm sure that by the time he got to Hogwarts and saw the castle, he must have been super excited, maybe also a little bit nervous because it is a fairly imposing building, but mm-hmm. it's also really cool because it looks like I mean it's a castle but of course the inside is nothing like a regular castle like you might find in England or other places in the muggle Mm -hmm, world it's mm -hmm. got moving staircases and ghosts and this huge hall that's so big that the ceiling ends up looking like the night sky and again like you said there's just candles everywhere and there's tons of people I mean it can accommodate essentially the whole school Mm -hmm. so it's um it's a huge castle and and everything is like you said grand and majestic and I'm sure Harry was super excited to yeah. see it, but probably also felt a little bit like a fish out of water because this is his first time being exposed to anything related to this world. And for a lot of the mm-hmm. kids, even if they don't, um, if they haven't attended Hogwarts, they know of it, or they're, I think, a little bit more familiar <laughs> with a lot of things than Harry is. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he probably felt overwhelmed, but um, I think he was also probably excited and, and um thrilled because this castle is like unlike anything that he's ever stayed in and of course he won't be shoved in a closet under the stairs and told to kind of just make do with whatever space he, he has and, and mm-hmm. things like that so well, you're right um I'm sure he's probably excited about finally ending up in Hogwarts and starting this this whole kind of journey and learning magic Pretty much. Let's also talk about Draco Malfoy. I think uh, we meet him in at Diagon Alley once, and then o- over at the train as well, where he tries to make uh, make get Harry to be his friend and stuff, and it fails. I guess. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, my thing is, I've I've always never understood when we first see Draco, he like makes some offhanded comment about. Mm-hmm magic only being uh, pure studied blood by pure bloods and yeah. yeah and it's just like you're 11 you should not be having thoughts like that at 11 years old mm. but I think again that probably just speaks to the type of role models again mm-hmm. in quotes that he had with his yeah. parents who yeah. we find out a little bit more about them later on mm-hmm. but um yeah they're not the nicest people either although maybe they have well his mom maybe has some redeeming qualities <laughs> but mm-hmm. a very small amount <laughs> um pretty much but yeah I just I never understood why like I love me was like yeah we should just keep magic within the pure bloods and these other people are just like muddling the gene pool or something to that effect and it's just that like you're 11 gross. just go outside and play or something like don't I know take a chill pill dude like yeah. you, need to, you need to calm down but I mean I guess credit to Malfoy for like making a decision and sticking with it because like you said he and Harry kind of get off to a rocky start and then he just like as soon as Harry says like he he is fairly confident that he made the right decision to pick him yeah. as a friend did. Um, Malfoy is just like all right well now we're enemies and for a huge chunk of the series I like mm-hmm. probably 95 percent of it um Malfoy sticks with that and yeah. he just doesn't waver and so I guess props to him for that but yeah props for his conviction but eh, yeah yeah you're right about that you're absolutely right about that so now let's talk about McGonagall because she is awesome again let's also talk about the sorting ceremony because I think we talked about this off according uh not many not many franchises have the have the cult following where you get to ask, hey, which Hogwarts uh, house are you in uh, for every situation that you find? It's kind of interesting. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, again, the project speaks to how well-received the series has been, mm-hmm. that we have all these different things like Pottermore mm-hmm. and like all these sorting hat quizzes where you can Pretty essentially much. insert yourself into the world and experience yeah, it in your own yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure for Harry, again, it was probably 
I think being overwhelmed is probably the theme of his first few days of Hogwarts because there's so much to take in and so much to learn and get used to. And I think having a talking hat plopped on your head that can kind of read your mind or read your thoughts rather, (laughs) it it can potentially be overwhelming. It can be. Um, Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I always wondered why nobody else had tried talking to a sorting hat hmm. I mean maybe people did and they just didn't like pass that information on but it seemed like a lot maybe of the not. kids hmm. were kind of terrified of going up there and and being to- like having the sorting hat on them and it was just like I don't know I just found it interesting yeah. that nobody else had mentioned you can talk to the hat and like have a conversation and maybe it'll take your preferences into consideration Exactly. I don't think I don't think they thought of that. You're right, Uh, which is interesting because Hogwarts has been around for quite some time. And it's interesting to me that no one ever thought, hey, maybe I could talk to the hat and, you know, let myself decide what house I might want to be in, regardless of what the hat thinks, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like worst case scenario, you're denied and the hat says you have to go into whatever house it's already assigned but it's just like yeah I mean obviously maybe for the purposes of the first book that was extraneous information or information that wasn't relevant maybe. to the plot mm-hmm. but um we get snippets of like other kids going through the ceremony and they all just come across like equally petrified and it's just like yeah is Harry really the first one to have tried to talk to the hat <laughs> Or did other people talk and they just kept it? Exactly. Um, kept that information secret. So yeah, that yeah, yeah. everybody sure. wasn't just making demands. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Um, so let's also talk about the professors and how they match their care, match the subjects they teach, because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think like, Snape is the clearest example of it. I mean, yeah. he's just perpetually frowning or scowling or whatever, and he teaches in the basement, which is like mm-hmm. the coldest place of the entire castle. So I think there's some sort of analogy you can make there. But mm-hmm. overall, I think, yeah, the, the, the subjects that the professors teach mm-hmm. match certain aspects of their personality. And I just thought it was... Mm-hmm interesting and I think in the movies I think do a better job of um making that I think a little bit more apparent because obviously they because it's a visual medium you can kind of design and style the actors and actresses to kind of match um yeah the the subjects that they teach but I think even in the books like I don't know like Flitwick to me just was like another good example of that to a certain extent McGonagall as well so yeah I don't know I think there's just something about it where it's like uh, I guess at a certain point like some of these staff members have just been teaching the same subject for so long that yeah um, it happens something maybe something wraps off I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know now let's talk about um let's talk about how Harry learns about Quidditch because I think Quidditch has become so super popular. So let's talk about the whole situation where he gets to learn about Quidditch and how he gets involved because I think that was one of the funniest scenes in the first book. It was, yeah, and one of my favorite too. So I think it starts with the their um, first day with a broom and, flying, and lessons. Learn, yeah, yeah. flying lessons. And of course Malfoy is being the jerk that he is. And after their classmate Neville unfortunately has an accident on the broom. He's mm-hmm. kind of uh, ferried away by the instructor, Madame Pooch, to get medical attention. And Malfoy ends up provoking Harry into flying around and mm-hmm. um, doing things that they were explicitly told not to not do. Not to do, yeah, and for sure. The greatest part is just McGonagall's entrance into this whole thing. And she just kind <laughs> of comes storming out of the castle and she's like, Harry Potter, never in my life have I been so disappointed. And like, or like, that's the impression that I think we're supposed to get from her. Yeah. She never says that explicitly. But yeah. Malfoy's kind of smirking in a corner because he's like, oh, I've done it. Harry Potter is going to be in trouble and potentially expelled. Mm-hmm. But McGonagall just takes Harry and makes a beeline for another professor's classroom, pulls a kid out of class and just <laughs> for like the express purpose of telling him this kid is a great flyer, flyer. Yeah. add him to the Quidditch team. Yeah. And the Quidditch captain for Gryffindor, Oliver Wood, is just like, 
what <laughs> yeah you're like oh my god what? himself is like wait i'm not expelled <laughs> and i just i love the way that scene um, plays out so, of course especially in the movies because i think maggie smith just did such a good job as mcgonagall maggie smith, dude, he's amazing i, I mean, know i know yeah. it, there's nobody else i think could have played that role yeah now at least I'm, I'm sure if somebody else had been cast instead of her i'm sure they would have done a great job but like after the first movie it's like she is mcgonagall and she just like you brought can't... that role to life yeah and... she did it, it, yeah. she really did she was awesome i i gotta say so yeah and i love that so i again quidditch is i feel like it will be fun to watch but for me i'm i'm terrified of heights so i don't know how well i do <laughs> but yeah yeah i'd like fun. to think that i mean i would attempt it i don't know mm-hmm. if i could do quidditch though i'm not a very athletic person or very good at sports mm. so i feel like i would just tank at quidditch but mm. i feel like if it's flying fun. were a thing and if we could fly i would like to assume cool. i'm brave enough to attempt it <laughs> yeah yes i hope so i'd hope so but I don't know. We'll see <laughs> if we ever get the chance. Right. So let's also talk about uh, how the whole plot, because I think you you made a very good point earlier, because like the first half of this book is filled, it's filled with little things that have no consequence right then and there, but it builds up in the second half of the book. So let's talk about that a little bit. So like, I think we were discussing this off recording and just yeah. talking about like the pacing of the book because yeah. at certain points it feels like nothing is happening but also a ton is happening mm-hmm. and I think when you look at it like there's all these like little things that happen and yeah in that instance it just it doesn't seem like it's a huge deal but by the end it's like oh this is clearly mm-hmm. significant and I think yeah. like, one of them is of course Hagrid getting a dragon's egg and yeah we find out over the course of the book that it's the one thing he's wanted for a very long time Mm -hmm. and he finally has it but of course at that point it seems like yeah and it seems like that's the only issue that it's illegal and he shouldn't have it so then harry's and and company i guess their goal becomes how do we get this thing out of here without getting ourselves and haggard in trouble and so they manage to get the dragon away Mm -hmm. successfully and get caught in like the tail end of that I guess and so then they're sent to detention and then mm. while in detention they come across a dead unicorn and that's a whole yeah. other issue because it's like a unicorn is, is so pure that anything that kills it is cursed and then that raises the question well who would kill it and why mm-hmm. and then it turns mm-hmm. out that we learn drinking a unicorn's blood does have some will keep you alive but it's a cursed yeah. existence basically exactly you know? yeah so then it's like well who would be crazy enough to do that and of course the answer yeah. is Voldemort so yeah there's all these little things like that and then I think there's encounters where um Harry sees Snape acting suspiciously um during his Quidditch yeah. match or during a Quidditch match um actually yeah. no, I think it is during his first one there's a it whole is. incident that, where the, his he, he, yeah exactly yeah for sure. or whatever and <laughs> And everybody thinks Snape did it. And then, of course, Snape ends up refereeing the second Quidditch match. So that just makes him look equally suspicious it, because it it's like he didn't about, finish the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's all these like little things. And then yeah. um, the invisibility like, cloak and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. There's little things. Yeah. But then, like, by the end, I think everything kind of ties in together pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the. It, again not a fan of jk rowling and all the statements she's put out since oh, and we definitely, definitely don't not. Mm-hmm. support her or condone anything she said but i think it is unfortunately only because she's the person who did it and i don't want to give her credit after all the hurtful things she said but oh yeah um unfortunately the way this whole thing kind of works out and then plays out it's kind of cleverly done because at first it seems like these are all a bunch of things that are happening that are, yeah like yeah. they're seemingly unrelated and Harry just kind of like he's involved in all these different things but mm-hmm. then at one point he's like he raises a good point which is isn't it suspicious that Hagrid suddenly gets the one thing he's wanted more than all anything? his life yeah exactly yeah. and it's literally out of nowhere too so um that kind of I think gets their gears turning and then mm-hmm. <laughs> once they start thinking about it they're like yeah it is strange because Hagrid has told them I believe that 
it's the he one thing know. yeah exactly yeah it's the one thing he's wanting he doesn't know the person who gave it to him he just kind of won it in like a game or something at the bar yeah and he was kind of tipsy and or drunk at that point so he didn't get a good look at that person and, and they the were hooded yeah. yeah yeah and the only information that they ended up talking about was like animals and Hagrid has mentioned to do you know how to take care of them yeah all that stuff <laughs> right yeah so then of course that's I think what kind of starts the the I guess tail end of the um book and kind of kicks that into high gear because about the philosopher's stone and nicholas flamel and how dumbledore is linked to nicholas flamel and all that stuff yeah yeah so like they're definitely suspicious and on high alert now Mm -hmm. and i think they're more aware of what they need to look for because before i think that a lot of like there was a lot of suspicious things going on Mm -hmm. um including like a troll being released into the castle and things like that but i I don't think there was a common denominator or nothing that they could find that was connecting those instances it was just like random crazy things happening happening. but by the end i think it's more apparent that even though these are all seemingly unrelated incidents they're all Mm -hmm. connected by something and it, it takes a while for them I think to figure out what but once they do I think that's when like the pacing starts to pick up pretty and, much um you get more information <laughs> absolutely let's also talk about the mirror bear said because I think that's really it's a really sad it's a bittersweet thing I'd like to say the whole <laughs> mirror of Arisid scene because like hair because that mirror is supposed to show you the one thing that you're that you really really want and what it shows Harry is his parents and it's just so sad because he's never seen his parents his entire life he's never had the opportunity and it's like you know it's just it's just sad I I feel bad for the for the kid honestly yeah I think a lot of people do myself included because yeah like you said he's 11 years old and he's never seen his parents and he was one when they died so it's not like he has a ton of memories he doesn't of them remember either. them yeah and exactly. it's not like the dursleys went out of their way to show him anything and i'm sure even if he asked i'm sure he was just flat out denied or worse yet the dursleys themselves probably didn't have anything because of petunia's mm-hmm. prejudice and almost hatred of what Lily, Lily could do yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. just like he's never had the chance to really see what they look like and um maybe even like fully completely process what happened because he's told kind of quickly that his parents didn't die in a car crash like mm-hmm. he thought and then all of a sudden he's like whisked away to this magical school and like all these fantastical things are happening around him mm-hmm. and so I think he didn't have a ton of time to process um yeah he didn't you're right about his parents had essentially been murdered and their killer attempted to murder him too yeah (laughs) um i think yeah the the mirror of erisette is probably the first time he had a chance to see them and maybe even think about things like that and of course i mean at 11 years old when you're in a situation like that where yeah for so much of your life nobody has been in your corner standing up for you or just yeah that nice just sucks you. really uh, yeah of yeah course, so of like course. of course you can't blame him for wanting his parents i mean what kid doesn't want to like, belong to a family or just Especially, somewhere yeah like i mean i think that if his if the dursleys had treated him right he would have been okay with that situation but yeah he probably would have wondered, but it wouldn't be this bad, if, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. but again, I think that's a very big if, because yeah, we a, know the type of people the Dursleys are. They're, they're <laughs> again, they're not the greatest. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and then, and then I like how Dumbledore is like, don't keep looking for this, because people have wasted their lives away uh, looking for the stuff that they want, and it's not always a good thing, because it's... <laughs> I I like how that was framed for them. I, I like how that was framed. So yeah. let's talk about the final puzzle that led to the Sorcerer's Stone and how each of the each of these three kids had a had a chance to demonstrate what they were good at. I guess you know. Let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Again, I mean, I know it's kind of like beating a dead horse here, but. <laughs> We don't support anything J.K. Rowling has said. No, we but don't. Again, it's like one of those things where, like, it's unfortunate that she has turned out to be a not great person. Uh, but 
it was cleverly mildly, done. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I know what you but mean. yeah, that ending I think was cleverly done, just because, like you said, it's like each of the three kids got a chance to kind of shine and showcase um, their specific skill set or whatever, and it I think it worked out because mm-hmm. it was. I think a puzzle that if just Harry had gone by himself, I don't think he would have been able to figure he wouldn't out. Have, he would not have um, been able maybe, to. Maybe the first two, but the third one, I think definitely, like that would have been, I think, too like, much I don't for know him if he would have been good at wizard's chess either. Like, I don't know. I think he may have been able to muddle his way through it. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I also like. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that would have been challenging, but it's I feel like maybe he could have gotten like if he if he. It's not that he didn't know how to play chess. If he didn't know how to play chess, I think he would have been screwed. It's just he wasn't the best player. But I think he would have been he, okay. I think. Yeah, he may have been able. He's to good get under it. pressure. That's all I'll yeah. say. He's yeah, but I think pressure. that last one where it's just with like the different vials and he had to choose which one. I think that one like the stakes would be too high, and so I don't know if he would have yeah been able to think through it rationally because also they were up against the clock almost because they they couldn't let the um sorcerer's stone be stolen by who they thought was snape yeah and so they were kind of trying to to beat him to it so i think if harry had gone by himself i don't think he would have had or spent a lot of time deliberating (laughs) which file to choose and yeah would have just been like you know what i'm gonna pick this file and just hope for the best and pray it didn't kill him i think so i think the nice thing with having ron and hermione along as well is ron is great at wizard's chess which is like perfect for Mm -hmm. this situation because Mm -hmm. he gets them through the first obstacle and then of course in the second one harry's like the youngest seeker in existence and highly skilled so of course yeah. you can pick out the one key that they need to get through a locked door in a room full of flying keys exactly and then in that the was last super one, cool there's yeah. a riddle and it's like i think there's a line in the book or a bit in the book about how wizards suck at logic or whatever but mm-hmm. hermione's great at it and she's better yeah. with that than something that's kind of like i guess more like yeah not illogical but <laughs> something that's not so I guess clearly defined or maybe a little bit more abstract maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know but either way Hermione's great with like that sort of thing so it worked out for them that each of them was able to bring something at the table and kind of contribute to the overall effort and then get through this crazy challenge and um of course much, the, yeah. the big climax or the big surprise is that when Harry does pass all these obstacles and finally gets turns out it's Quirrell yeah you know? he's like literally the least suspicious professor at first but then when you go yeah. back and like look at all the clues it's like oh of course it was him of course it was him man Pretty much yeah I mean again not a fan of J.K. Rowling's statements but Definitely, this was done well. I feel like it was done pretty well. <laughs> That's all I can say. Now, yeah. let's talk about the very end because I think the movie did a better job of, uh, you know, basically um, visual help us visualize the conflict than um, the, the book did. Because I think uh, Lily's sacrifice basically uh, made it so that... Um, Voldemort couldn't touch him and Voldemort because Voldemort was in uh, Hag- uh and Quirrell's body <laughs> Quirrell couldn't touch him so it's right. like, I think I think that was articulate done again another thing that was done well but mm-hmm. let's talk I think and also Dumbledore tries to explain that to him but doesn't give him all the answers he's kind of cryptic about it because I don't know if he wanted to spare an 11 year old kid all that pain or I don't know what that was what did you what do you think yeah I think in the books it was slightly um anticlimactic almost because mm. Quirrell and Harry confront each other but obviously you know Harry's just started magic he's essentially or learning magic he's essentially a novice he's an experience. Um, yeah he doesn't have the knowledge or the experience and of course Quirrell mm. is much older and he's been exposed to this his whole life and so you know just mm. being older and having all that experience of course benefits him and so it 
there's I don't think there's any situation in which a fight would have worked out in Harry's favor mm-hmm. but it doesn't even come to a fight because Quirrell essentially just ties Harry up and he's like just hang tight I'm gonna kill you in like five minutes yeah just let me find the stone first yeah and then there's some talking back and forth and then um Harry ends up having the stone because that's kind of how the mirror of Erised works. It can only be used by somebody who's not looking to use it out of greed or get something out of yeah. it in return. So the stone um, ends up in his pocket. And um, mm. in the books, I can't remember specifically, I don't know if it was ever like explained that way, but it's essentially like Quirrell ties him up, they talk for a little bit, and Harry's essentially just stalling for time. And then Quirrell yeah. is like, all right, I can't find the stone. And I think, I, I believe Voldemort says, kill him first and then yeah, we can yeah. find the stone. And then Quirrell attempts to do it, but he can't touch Harry. So Harry yeah, essentially melts like him yeah, and he passes out. Yeah, pretty <laughs> so much. It's like, much. you know, we've had this all this build up and these kind of epic trials and this huge kind of shock because I don't know that a lot of people who picked up the book when it first mm-hmm. came out and, you know, when the movie first came out, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people automatically guessed it was Quirrell. And so it's like kind of meant to be a huge reveal. And then essentially it just kind of wraps up a little too easily, I feel like. So I think the movie has just added this element of um, realism, I guess, to it. It made yeah. it slightly more believable, I think. Yeah, that, that's um, one element like a, like a struggle yeah. or like a, a, some sort of fight, mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, like... A clashing of wands or anything so yeah, to speak pretty but much. yeah um it did i think feel slightly more believable in the movie because it wasn't as simple as um quirrell just tying him up and just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much i agree with you there uh let's also talk about i think all things considered harry's had an incredible year at hogwarts mm-hmm. um and I think it would feel really, I think you'd feel conflicted about leaving. What do you think about that? I think so, yeah. I mean, again, he has not had the greatest experience um, with the Dursleys. Of course not. He doesn't enjoy being with them. And I think given the choice, he would choose to stay at Hogwarts forever Mm -hmm. if he could, Mm -hmm. if it was a choice between going back to Mm -hmm. Privet Drive or staying at Hogwarts. But obviously he can't do that for the summer term so he Mm -hmm. does have to to go back with them but I I did love that at the end he kind of even though he he like he was aware of what was in store and probably guessed how the summer was going to play out he still tried to find I guess positives out of it because he was like well they don't know I can't do magic so outside school um, so I'm gonna make the most of this shit exactly so I I just thought that was nice that like even though he was going back to a shitty environment with kind of nasty people he was still Mm. intent on making the best of it yes he was so and I think again that's just like a contrast to um to how the Dursleys are and how he is I mean he's been in all sorts of crazy situations in his year at Hogwarts and <laughs> I don't think he's ever turned out like them just constantly being negative and nasty and I mean yeah. he might have his moments sure but like the Dursleys and are he just has like good friends around him thankfully so yeah yeah which is nice too because I think that with the Dursleys it seemed like he had no friends and the only kids his age were probably either afraid of Dursley or sorry afraid of Dudley or friends with Dudley so yeah. it didn't unfortunately um, help him and you know, being isolated at that age not having anyone to talk to or play with I'm sure it, it mm-hmm. can be frustrating but now you know he's in an environment where he's got lots of people who even if they're yep. not close close friends he at least has a larger friend group mm. and there's lots more kids his age and even kids who are older than him that he's friends with and exactly he's got like a lot more people in his corner now so oh, yeah which I'm is sure all yeah yeah nice. that was yeah that's always awesome that's always awesome yeah so yeah and I also love how Hagrid gave him a photo and uh, a photo album with pictures of his parents and him as a little baby it was know, just the yeah. sweetest thing I feel yeah like. but again kind of bittersweet because like it's yes. nice that he got it but then also sad that it he only got it after turning 11 yeah. and after coming to Hogwarts and it's just again it just goes it's back a, to the crazy sad, crazy yeah. thing the Dursleys put him through yeah 
But all in all, I think it's a good start to Harry's journey. And it makes you look forward to what's coming next, I feel like. Right? <laughs> so, and that's something we'll be discussing in our next podcast. So yes. <laughs> we're definitely going to be doing the entire Harry Potter series. Uh, and let's see how it works out. We hope you enjoy this. Please feel free to... Um, give us suggestions uh, reach out to us and if you, and give us your own opinions about the series and everything that could have been done because again I feel like what could have been done in uh, the whole JK Rowling situation is another topic that's rather controversial <laughs> I'll just say that because I don't want to get into it we don't want to get into it because we really don't agree with the stupid statements that she's put out but it's just unfortunate or fortunate that the world she's created is fun to discuss that's all we're gonna say yeah. so again thank you so much for listening we really appreciate you and it, again like i said please reach out to us if you have any other suggestions we'd love to hear from you thanks guys thank you As always, our lovely theme song is Water Lily by the 126ers. The Nerdy Podcasts podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and you can follow us online at nerdy-podcasts.tumblr.com or at nerdypodcasts.wordpress.com.